Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus and Exodus in chapter number 34. Exodus and chapter number 34. Now where we left off with the life and ministry of Moses is that they have been brought to the Mount Sinai. It is there that God spoke unto the people the Ten Commandments. Afterwards, the people had ushered Moses to go speak to God on their behalf and become their intercessor to go between them and God. And there that Moses received some more instructions, came down, talked to the people. They agreed to all the terms. So God had Moses write down the word of God and they had a copy of on paper of what they were supposed to have. Then God called Moses back up to the mountain, spent 40 days with him to give him the plans for the tabernacle. Also giving them warning to make sure that during that time that they don't fail to spend time with God. The danger is always that sometimes we do so many things for God that we fail to spend time with God. Now, as they came back down off the mountain, they had heard the noise of war, when in fact it was that Aaron had built under the behest of everyone else a golden calf, and they were partying and worshiping, and they broke almost every single one of the Ten Commandments. As Moses came down, he was furious and threw down the tables of stone that God had wrote for him, and... It was pretty bad. God wanted to kill the people. Moses wanted to kill the people. But both of them were talked out of it by each other. And we spoke more about that. Then Moses was brought back up to Mount Sinai. And that's where we're at right now. In the book of Exodus chapter number 34. Exodus chapter 34. And notice with me once again in verse number 28. Exodus chapter 34. And in verse number 28 the Bible says this. And he, that's Moses, was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. And he did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the Mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come, not him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with him. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, 
And the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again, until he went in to speak with him. And if you have it in marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find repeatedly, but specifically in verse number 35, Exodus chapter 34 and verse 35, notice the phrase, Moses put the veil upon his face. And here we'll just shorten it up and speak about Moses' veil, or the veil of Moses. Moses' veil. And if you don't mind, we'll speak about this and see what the Bible has to say about this veil of Moses. The veil of Moses, Moses' veil. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house, to open up your word, and to be able to spend time with you and understand the principle that you've given over and over so far about being with you. I'm asking that once again it would hit home, that once again it would be used to draw men and women, boys and girls, to you, that they would have a desire to spend time with you. Thank you again. And just for this message, because it's so important, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to stumble. I want to make sure that it's exactly what you want to get across. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that you would help every single one of us, including me, because of this message. And in your precious name we pray. Amen. The veil of Moses. If you don't mind, as we tackle this passage, there are some things that we want to learn or some things that we see that the veil teaches us. The very first thing I want to show you here is the results of being with God. The results of being with God. Now, for the second time, Moses goes up and spends 40 days and 40 nights with God. Both of those times are without food and without water. You say, how was he sustained? He's sustained by God himself. It is a supernatural thing, not a natural thing. It is a supernatural thing that God keeps him sustained during this time. And he's sustained with the presence of God. As he is there, God is so close and God is so real to him during this time. This intense time. He just imagine this twice he spent with God 40 days and 40 nights. Twice he was there in the presence of God. Twice he was there all by himself for the second time. And spending that much time is going to change you. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 28. And he, that's Moses, was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And he didn't either, uh, neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not, or he knew not, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, that him is there is God. That Moses didn't realize that as he had been spending time with God, it was changing him. It changes him first in the inside, and then it will show up in the outside. He didn't know about this. God's presence does change you. 
it does change you. It changes you spiritually, and it can change you spiritually. It can change your countenance. These are real results of spending time with God. In the New Testament, we take note that the people around the uh, disciples, that they took note that they had been with Jesus. How can they tell that? Because there was something about the presence that went with him. The more that you spend time with God, the more you become like him. Not meaning that you get supernatural powers, but you begin to think like him. You begin to act like him. Your countenance changes. Your presence changes. Being with him. Spending time with God. It has to be. You know, there's an old uh, observation that the more that couples spend time with each other, the more they look with, like each other. So you take uh, two married couples that's been married for a hundred years together. Well, after a while, they start acting each other. They start speaking like each other. They had the same countenance, the same movements. It's like speaking one to the other. People say the same thing about their pets and their owners, that they spend enough time with their pets that sometimes they start to look similar and they have the similar things. It's is a real thing that the more that you spend time with someone, the more that you start to become like them. There used to be an old warning that you tell me who your friends are and you tell me what you're reading or watching and I'll tell you who you're going to become. Because you become like your friends. You become like the people that you're around. Well, the more that you spend time with Christ the more you start becoming like Christ. This is why the most important thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in the Word of God for yourself. You have to be in the Bible. That's how you spend time with Him, through Bible reading and through prayer. There is no other way. That's how we spend time with the Lord. That's why it's no such thing. Well, I read my one book chapter of the Bible today, well, you didn't spend time with God. No wonder you're not acting like him. No wonder you're not thinking like him. No wonder you're not behaving like him. No wonder your countenance doesn't look like you spent time with the Lord. The more that you spend time with him, it is a very real thing that you become more like him. This time of spending with God is so important because it changes you. Now let me remind you that being different is not the goal. God is the goal. But as you're going towards God, you will be different. It is a byproduct of being with Him. Moses had spent so much time with God <clears throat> that it began to affect his outside. Imagine spending 80 days in the presence of God. You would expect someone to behave different, to act different, even look different. Moses came down and he didn't even realize there was changes. By the way, most people don't realize that there's changes. They don't look at themselves, but everyone else can tell. If someone's been in their Bible... And really communing with God and praying with God, others can tell. If you have not been in your Bible and have not been praying, others can tell. You might not tell. You might not see the changes. You might not see the effects. 
but others can. That's part of growing spiritually, by the way. You can't see how tall you're growing. You can't see what's changing in you. But others can tell if you're growing. Others can see it. It's part of following after Christ. Spending time with the Lord is that there are going to be changes. And so what we see first of all in this <coughs> is, <coughs> excuse me, that we see the results of being with God. But there's something else that we see here. The reaction of the people. The reaction of the people. Now notice how people responded. Notice with me in verse 30. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. This is a spiritual truth. The closer you get with God, others who are not close with God will be afraid. They'll be convicted. They don't want to be around you. That the closer you get with the Lord, the lonelier you're going to become. I wish that wasn't a true statement, but it is. Because there are always people who say, I'll grow with God. I'll follow God up to this point, but I'm not going to follow any further. I'm not going to move forward. But you have to. If you want to be close to God, you have to be obedient in all the things that God has given to you. That's why here in this church, one of the most important things we do is discipleship. How do we define discipleship here? It's developing the habit of obedience to Christ. And that we start off our discipleship with such easy things. And if people aren't willing to obey the easy things, they will not obey the other things that are asked later on. And following after God. By the way, it's not that we're asking. It's the things that the Bible's saying. Simple things like reading your Bible. Praying. Even such things as having your testimony down. Those things are important to us. Because it helps develop the habit of obedience to Christ. Following after Christ. Following after Him. But as you start following after the Lord. There are certain places where people will stop following. And they're going to be uncomfortable with someone who is following after God. They're going to be uncomfortable as people get close to God because they don't know how to respond to it. I meant for those of us who st who've worked secular jobs. Sometimes the people, when we start getting closer with the Lord, they don't know how to respond to us. We've all had the thing where people s say a curse word and they go, ooh, sorry. They don't know how to respond now. Amen. Oh, you know, how do I act with this person who's supposed to be close to the Lord? They start watching their speech. They start following behind. If you could forgive the personal testimony. I usually don't give a lot of personal testimonies. There was a time when I was in Bible college. I was working at a lab. I was working at University of Tennessee Hospital. And I was working for a while. Working with uh, all those lost people. And of course they were asking questions. But then my back broke. And I was unable to work for a long while. Well the manager of the lab said... Can you come back? I know that you're not healthy. I know that your back won't handle it. We'll adjust. We'll find something to do. We'll find something to do. But I need you back. Because when you're here, people stop cussing. When you're here, they stop talking about adultery. When you're here, they watch their things. It changes everything. Why? Well, it's someone who's walking with the Lord. It does affect other people around. 
And often it's a good thing, but people don't know how to respond to someone who's walking with the Lord. By the way, that's a good thing. If people can feel comfortable talking about cheating and drinking and sexual things and awful things, then there's something not right with your walk with the Lord. They should not feel comfortable talking about those worldly, awful, sinful things in your presence if they can sense that you've been walking with the Lord. Does that make sense? There's something to it, how people respond to someone who's walking with the Lord. Here is Aaron and everyone else. By the way, we know that they're not right with the Lord. They just got through building a golden calf. And Moses comes back down and they can see there's something different. This is someone who walked with God and they're afraid and they start running the other way. Notice Moses has to track them down. Notice verse 31. And Moses called unto them. So you could see they saw Moses and like, I don't want to go talk to them. You know, it's kind of the same thing. No one invites preachers to a party. I mean, no, people just don't, I just don't think he would just enjoy it. You know, it's one of those things. Well, they see the preacher and they see he's been walking with God. And they're like, mm, I don't want to talk with him. He has to call him up to him. Come on, come on. And Aaron and the rulers of the congregation returned unto him and Moses talked with them. And afterward, the children of Israel came nigh and he gave them in the commandment, all the Lord had spoken to them in Mount Sinai. Now, all this time, he doesn't realize that his face is shown. You can imagine Aaron pulling him aside and saying, Moses, we're all afraid of you. Well, I can tell what's the matter. What's wrong? Is it, is it because I threw the Ten Commandments before? Is it because I made you, you know, drink the golden calf? I mean, are they just afraid of me now? No, Moses, your face is shining. Here, look at the mirror. <laughs> I mean, someone had it, you pointed out, he didn't realize that he'd been so close to the Lord that it affected him. He couldn't see it in himself, but they were all afraid of him. So what Moses did in verse 33, until Moses had done speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. So now when he started dealing with the people, he had a veil over his face. Hold that thought. We'll cover that in a second. Why was he wearing a veil? Now we'll cover that in a second. Verse 34, but when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, God, he, Moses, took the veil off and he came out and he came out and spake to the children of Israel, which he commanded, basically putting the veil on. So when he talked to God, he took the veil off. When he spoke to the people, he put the veil on. Verse 35, and the children of Israel saw the face of Moses and that the skin of Moses' face shone and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went to speak in with him, God. And so we could see the reaction of the people. Now, if you don't mind, let's see the response in the New Testament. So the New Testament, the Bible's the best commentary on itself. So what does the New Testament say about Moses' veil? Well, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's see, why is it that Moses wore the veil? Was it because his face shone? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say and learn this principle that we have here about Moses' veil. Notice with me in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter number 3. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 3. And the first thing I want to show you in the response to the New Testament, we're going to break this passage up in a couple different pieces. That first of all, we see in this passage that the Spirit is better than the law. The Spirit is 
is better than the law. Notice with me in verse 6. Who also had made us able ministers of the New Testament? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of this countenance, which glory was to be done away. Now notice with me as we start this. In verse 6 it says, The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now think about this. In the Old Testament law, like the Ten Commandments, to break the Ten Commandments, what was the penalty? For the wages of sin is death. Because you broke God's law, you deserve to die. And there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. You know what the Old Testament promises anyone? Death. That's what you look forward to. The Old Testament gives you death. Now the Ten Commandments, they're glorious. That's what the Bible says. They're glorious. Aren't they one of the most amazing codified laws in all of human history? To be able to have these basic commandments. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not bear false witness. And it goes on. These ten commandments that almost every law in all the world or anywhere that Judaism or Christianity has touched, has a basis under. This law, it's glorious. Just these basic rules of standard living, these rules of holiness, they are glorious, but all they can produce is life. But you know what the law of Christ does? You know what the Spirit does? It promises us life. Whereas the Old Testament promises death, the law and the Spirit giveth life. What is this law and the Spirit? The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what the law promises everyone? Death. You break God's law, you deserve to die. Now, it's glorious. The Bible, that's how the Bible says it is glorious. The law is wonderful. It is glorious. But all it can do is promise you death. But you know what the Spirit gives us? It gives us life. And that is better than that. You know what Moses was receiving the plans of the tabernacle and the Ten Commandments. That was glorious, but you know what? It was done away with. And the Bible gives us comparison here. Moses for his glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Moses received the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments was going to be done away with. Notice with me in verse number 8. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Meaning, more glorious wouldn't you rather hear about Jesus as talking about how it personally affects you? Wouldn't you rather hear about how Jesus gives you life rather than study the law that gives you death? Of course we'd rather hear about this life that we have. Verse number 9. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, meaning that the Old Testament, it gives you death. 
Much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. By the way, let me remind you this. The weakness of the law was not the law. The weakness of the law was humans. The law did not fail. We failed. The law just showed us where we failed. And so the Old Testament law was not weak. It was glorious. We just could not live up to the glory. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law was glorious. We fell short of that glorious. Notice verse number 10. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which was done away was glorious, how much more that which remaineth is glorious. Now let's think about this comparison. If you take the dark heathenistic world that knew not God, the Old Testament was a great light. Wasn't it? Because it revealed who God was. And in comparing the Old Testament to the darkness of the heathen, it was a glorious light. But then you take the Old Testament and all of its glory, and you shine it next to the glory of Jesus in the New Testament, this glory pales that light. That light is nothing compared to the glory of Jesus and his sufferings and his resurrection and what he has done for me. And so we have darkness... Little light, great light. And so this is the comparison that it's giving here. Is that sure, this was glorious compared to that. This word glory, by the way, carries the word shine. um, It's included in there. It covers much more than that. But it also carries the idea of shine. So if you can imagine deep space, faraway star, sun. So sure, there's a little light here, but it's nothing compared to the glory, the shine of this light. Does that make sense? So the Bible here is saying that the spirit is better than the law. That the law, it was still great, but it's not as great as Jesus. The promises of the law were great, but not as great as Jesus' promises. But notice as it goes on now. So now it's going back and comparing the law And it's comparing who Moses in this veil. Notice the second thing here in this response to the New Testament. That the spirit's better than the law. But then look at the same veil of Moses. The same veil of Moses. Notice with me in verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope. We use the great plainness of speech. So here's plain speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. That the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end which was abolished. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. That the children of Israel should not steadfastly look to the end which is abolished. What it's covering here is that the reason why Moses put his veil over his face was not the hide that his face shone. But in fact, it was to hide the idea that the glory, the shine of his face, would fade away the more that he was away from God. And so he was trying to hide the fact that the glory was going away. 
And this is a New Testament picture here. That the glory of the light of the law. It's going to go away. Compared to the light here. But Moses himself. The reason why he wore the veil. Is because he didn't want someone to say. Hey you know what you're not shining as bright as you were three days ago. Are you alright? Because it would be a discouragement to them. That this, this shine will go away. What do we also know about this spiritually here? That the more that you spend time away from God, the less you become like him. We have to stay close to him day after day after day. One of the great mistakes that's happened to many, many Christians who've been, in the, who've been saved for a while. Is I've read my Bible through. I don't have to read it anymore. That's a huge mistake. Because you start, stop getting close to God and you step further away. And you become less and less like him. Remember, before a preacher ever or any, pub, uh, any Christian ever has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. That it starts with someone stop reading their Bible. There have been better Christians than me who have fallen. Where did it start? They failed to read their Bible. I've read my Bible 50 times. That's a lot of Bible knowledge. Well, then they try to write out on that Bible knowledge without spending time with God. And their heart gets further away from God. Their spirit starts getting further away from God. Their cravings become more like the world. And they start behaving away from God. This is what's happened to every public minister who fell. Every Christian who was a great Christian who failed in their personal life or failed in life, ran off with their secretary, cheated on their wife, ran off on this. What happened to them? Before anyone ever has a public fall, it started with a private failing. They failed to spend time with God. This is why I tell you, how can I pray for you, preacher? The greatest thing you could do is pray for me on a daily basis that I stay close to God, that I spend time with the Bible. Sure, I've read my Bible through several times. Sure, I've had the privilege of writing an entire um, (coughs) study Bible. Sure, I'm working on another one. But as soon as I say I have enough Bible knowledge and I don't need to read my Bible anymore, as soon as I say I'm good enough, I'm doomed. As soon as that happens, I have to read my Bible every day. I have to spend time with God every day in prayer. We have to continue to get close to him because the further we get from God, the less like him we become. This is the whole principle of Moses' veil. It was not to hide the fact that he had been close to God. It was in Instead, to hide the fact that as he was away from God, it would, the countenance, the shine would fade away. By the way, part of what Moses wore that veil for was so that way he was, it was part of humility, not to brag about how spiritual and holy he is. You want to see how close to God I am? Look at me! He didn't want to have that type of attitude where he had to point out how close to God I am. He didn't have to point out how spiritual they are. If someone has to brag about how spiritual they are, they're not. People can tell it. 
You don't have to brag about how great of a Christian you are if you are a good Christian. Does that make sense? Moses wore that veil because he did not want to bring attention to it. But he wore it also, and more importantly, according to the Bible here, he wore it for the purpose that he didn't want to see the shine, the countenance, fading away. He did it to hide that. Now notice that there's one more thing we see in the book of 2 Corinthians dealing with the veil of Moses that we see the response of the New Testament that the spirit is better than the law. We see the same veil of Moses, but then we see that the spirit changes us to the image of God. The spirit changes us to the spirit of God. Notice with me in verse number 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the spirit of the Lord. Now there's a lot to unwrap in these two verses here. The spirit that God gives us through his Holy Spirit is the liberty to be changed like him. Meaning that for, to be a Christian, you don't have to have a rules of what to do. You don't need a checklist. You need to follow after Christ. And as you follow after Christ, you will automatically do what's right. You don't have to say, well, in order to be a good Christian, you need to do this and do this and do this and do this. Now, we're thankful that as a church, we give people reminders and good reminders but the purpose is, is to follow after Christ. And he gives you liberty. He gives you great liberty. He gives you a choice to follow after him. You don't have to follow after God. You get to follow after God. And there's a difference there. Verse number four, 18. But we with an open face beholding as in a glass. This is a mirror. The glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory. Even as the Spirit of the Lord. So as you follow after Christ, God has given us the liberty to follow after Him. He begins to change you starting from the inside out. One of the things about religion is that religion likes to work on the outside. Following after Christ works on the inside. So if somebody begins to follow after Christ, He changes them in the inside. He changes what they think. He starts to change how they think. He starts to change how they respond and how they react. And eventually what's in the inside is going to show up on the outside. With churches and Christians who, um, who focus on the outside, you could put a good coat of paint on rotten wood. You can make something look good on the outside. Teach them how to quote unquote dress right. How to carry right. How to carry their Bible. You carry it like this and you pulled it to your side. It teaches you how to respond. But you could make someone look good on the outside. And they still be lost and going to hell. They can still be far, far away. But if you teach someone to follow after Christ... And to spend time with him. That the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis. Is to read the word of God for yourself. Amen. Yeah. God will change 
how people think. He will change how they respond, how they react, how they move. It's following after Christ. Following after Christ. And eventually you'll look in a mirror as it says here. That we with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What we're supposed to do is be a reflection of God's light and God's glory. To be a reflection of whom he is. That as he is shining a light, it will be shining through us. That's what God wants. He wants you to be close to him. And as you are close to him, there are going to be changes. You understand? So if someone comes up with me with a big cigar and an ACDC t-shirt and, Yeah, man, I've been close to God. Does that match what Christ looks like? How God looks like? Now, I appreciate if it's a brand new Christian who's taking steps with the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. We'll take that. What I'm trying to do is that there's a lot of people who say they follow the Lord. But it doesn't match. But you might not see you growing in the Lord as you're growing the Lord. But others will see it. Oh, it's one of the fun things. If you could allow me again to be personal. I love about this church. Is that in this church we have people who have been in discipleship. Who have been following the Lord. And it, it has been amazing to watch you. I can, I can almost look at almost everyone in here. And say, I've been watching you grow. I've been watching you change. I've been watching God do stuff. And it's been exciting. It's been wonderful. Keep it up. Getting close with God. Because the greatest evidence that the Bible works, the greatest evidence that what we call biblical Christianity is true, is the evidence of a changed life. Where does it start? It doesn't start by you climbing a mountain on your knees. It doesn't start by you going slaying a dragon to prove your worthiness. It just starts on a daily basis of reading God's word. Spending time with him in prayer. Being with God. Following after him. And he will make a change in you. God has made it so the Christian life is simple. Follow after what a great God. What a great God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.